Yeah, so our family had a uh, exposure. Maybe people in church just heard this. I'm not sure. But we had a potential exposure about a week ago. It seems very unlikely that it it was an exposure. Uh, and, but we just wanted to make sure that everyone could meet in person as safely as possible. And so Tommy and Megan uh, got to thinking about how to how to do this do this and they made it happen and there are some other folks kind of working behind the scenes to make it happen as well so thanks to everyone who made it so i could preach comfortably from my own office this morning um but yeah so we've been working through this sermon series called forever family the last few weeks and the focus here is just on what it means to be a part of the family of god And Robert walked us through in the first sermon how you're born into that family. And the simple way of putting it is just that you get born into the family by being born again, namely by grace through faith because of the saving work of Christ. It's because of the gospel. And Tommy walked us through last week, what should our response be to being part of that family? So, you know, you when you're part of the family, that gives you freedom, freedom from sin and, and freedom to choose how you're going to live your life. And uh, Paul is urging the Galatians not to use that freedom to walk in the flesh, but to walk in the spirit. So we're going to take some time in, the, in not just this week, but next week as well to think, how do we walk in the spirit in a way that leads us to fellowship with each other? And that's that's the, the theme this week and next week of, of fellowship. And this special focus this week is really on unity, as J.D. was talking about. So I'm going to give you kind of a roadmap uh, real quick of how I think Paul talks about fellowship in this passage in in Ephesians 4. And really he's saying, I think, in light of the calling that we have to come into the family of God, we need to walk worthily, we need to want unity, and we need to work wisely. I'll say that again. We need to walk worthily, want unity, and work wisely. All right, so what's the first thing you think of when you think about fellowship? I think for a lot of us, it's probably some kind of quality time, like maybe going on a hike with friends or eating a nice meal around the table, like Thanksgiving style, maybe like a game night or something like that. And those are all, you know, forms of fellowship. Uh, for me, when I hear the word fellowship, the first thing I think of is the Lord of the Rings, because I am definitely a nerd. Uh, so I was thinking about the Lord of the Rings as I was preparing for this sermon, and I actually think the picture of fellowship that we get in that story is pretty helpful for thinking about what Paul is telling us about fellowship in the church in this passage. And so I want to actually show show you a clip from the movie, The Fellowship of the Ring, to start off today. If you haven't seen the movie, this clip shows a council of elves, dwarves, humans, and hobbits. These are like, you know, fantasy races from Tolkien's Middle-earth world. And in this clip, they're arguing over who is going to take this powerful ring to a land called Mordor to to chuck it into a volcano. This is the only way that is going to destroy the ring, which it's an evil artifact, so it has to be destroyed. 
And uh, the hobbit Frodo, who's the main character, is sitting there just kind of watching all of these people arguing with each other. So I'll share my screen with you real quick. And we'll watch this together. So I think what we see in that clip is a picture of fellowship on which fellowship isn't only just quality time spent together with friends, but at least some versions of fellowship are a unified response by a, uh, members of a community to a specific call. In this case, you know, for Tolkien's characters, the call is to take the ring to Mordor to destroy it. And the fellowship forms when this community unifies in their response to that call. Before, before the unified response, there's no fellowship. It's just disunity. Well, for Paul in this passage, I think the picture of fellowship that he gives is really similar. He says that, uh, you know, he spends the first three chapters of Ephesians really outlining how we've been called into the family of God through the gospel. And then here at the beginning of the fourth chapter, he says that in light of this calling, we need to walk in a manner worthy of it. We need to respond to that calling in a specific way. So that's the first thing that I think Paul uh, touches on here is that we need to in, in light of this calling into the family of God, into the forever family, we need to walk worthily. So how do we walk worthily of the calling? That's the first kind of question today. Well, notice how Paul identifies himself when he says this. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner of, or prisoner, excuse me, for the Lord, urge you to, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So how is Paul urging the, the Ephesians. He's urging them as a prisoner, as somebody who is suffering. He could have said, I urge you as your leader or as someone who is in authority over you. And that would have been true. Paul was their leader and he, he was in authority over the Ephesian church. 
But instead of appealing to his authority, he appealed to his situation. And I think what's going on here is he's modeling how to walk worthily of the calling. Specifically, he's modeling that in order to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they've been called, they have to identify with Christ and to imitate Christ. Whenever you see Paul talking about his sufferings in in his many letters in the New Testament, whether it's being beaten, uh, thrown out of town, put in prison, you know, a number of different times, it's always for Paul a way that he gets to identify with Christ in Christ's sufferings. And for him, this is great. It's like, uh, you know, it's an opportunity to get to be more like Christ. And so here, when he's, when he's identifying himself as a prisoner for the Lord, he's reminding them that, look, here's how I'm identifying with Christ right now. You need to do that in light of the call to which you've been called. So he says a little bit more about how can they do that with each other. So he urges them to walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. These are all ways to imitate Christ. I mean, let's think about it for a second. In our sin, how did Christ deal with us? It wasn't with impatience or callousness. It was with gentleness, with patience, bearing with us, uh, you know, in love. We didn't deserve to be dealt with in those ways in our sin. We, we deserved death. That's what scripture tells us, that the penalty for sin is death. Instead, though, Christ humbled himself, taking on human nature and allowing himself to be tortured, beaten, and killed for our sakes so that we could be brought into this forever family where we experience unity with God and unity with each other. So Christ so wanted to purchase this unity that he he humbled himself and had this attitude of gentleness and patience and love. So what Paul is, is telling the Ephesians here is to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that they to which they've been called, they need to imitate Christ's attitudes. And I think you see this reflected a bit in the, the video clip we just watched in uh, The Fellowship of the Ring. When all these people are arguing, the men, the dwarfs, the elves, they're being prideful towards each other, they're callous, they're even hateful towards each other. What it takes to, to break that apart is not some one person who is even more powerful and domineering or something like that. It takes a humble, gentle leadership of a hobbit who says, I... I'll do it, but I don't know the way. I need help. So in order to walk worthily of the of the calling that we have into this family, the calling of the gospel, we have to be like Christ and we have to want unity. So the first thing I, I talked about was um, walking worthily. But to, in order to walk worthily, you need to want unity. That's what brought Christ to humble himself and to deal with us in the way that he did. Notice that when Paul says that, uh, you know, when he talks about unity, he doesn't say that we should build unity or like establish unity. He says that we should want to maintain the unity of the spirit. 
But maintaining unity implies that there's already a unity that exists. And Paul describes the unity that's already there in the following verses. He says, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I think in a lot of ways, this kind of unity that we have, that uh, that is a, a deep pre-existing unity that we're trying to maintain, is like the unity of a biological family. And this is why Paul leans very heavily on the, the family metaphor to describe the, the church. So when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about uh, when my first daughter, Lucy, was born into our family. And I experienced this for both of my daughters. But, you know, for Lucy, it was the first time I had ever experienced something like this, that when she was born, there was a relationship that was already there that neither of us had ever done anything to work for. It was just there. And I loved her so immediately and unconditionally, it like surprised even me. And she never had to do anything for that. And I, I didn't even do anything for that. It was just there. We just started off unified by this, this family relationship that we had together. But our relationship still takes work to maintain and to, you know, even as it develops over time, as she grows and as I change as a person. So, you know, when I mess up as a dad and just as a human being, I have to go apologize to her and ask for forgiveness. And it happens a lot. Uh, and you know, that's a way for that's even a way for me to parent, to show her, like, look, even grownups are not perfect. But daily, I also have to exercise patience and gentleness with her, just as my parents did with me and like just as Christ did with us. Our forever family, the, the church, is really similar, I think, in this way, that we all got into the family exactly the same way. We all got in through the saving work of Christ, and we all have the same spirit, a sign of our adoption. And this puts us into a relationship with each other and relationship with God that none of us had to work for. You know, as soon as you become a member of the forever family, you have this relationship that you never did a thing to earn. And it's a lot like, you know, being born into a family where now you're all of a sudden in relationship with people and, and you never you didn't have to do a thing for it. But these relationships take work to maintain. When we sin against each other, we need to go repent and ask for forgiveness. We have to exercise patience and gentleness and love in relationship with each other as we seek to maintain that unity. Christ purchased that unity for us with these attitudes, but it takes continual, uh, le continually leaning into those attitudes by us to maintain the unity that Christ purchased. So when I think about a situation where unity has not been maintained, I think probably for you as well, the first thing that comes to mind is our nation right now. It's like, I, it's hard to even say just how disunified things are. It's in such a bad place. And I think one problem is obviously just that people believe really different things. There's what you might call an ideological disunity in our country right now. And there, you know, the, dip, the 
difference in belief or ideologies just is over lots of different stuff. It's over beliefs about what political policies or laws are best for our country. Um, but, you know, there's also dis difference in belief about whether there is even systemic racism in our country. It's really important questions. These things matter a lot. And, um, you know, having false beliefs about them can lead to real harm in people's lives. So this this matters, the ideological disunity in our country. But there's another kind of disunity that I think underlies a lot of the ideological disunity that we're seeing and is in a way kind of deeper. And it's a disunity where people don't even trust each other. In fact, I think one of the reasons people disagree about so much and so vehemently right now is that they don't even they they don't trust each other. They actually assume that anyone who disagrees with them must have bad intentions or must be trying to bring about some bad end. I think in the insurrection at the Capitol a week or so ago, we saw that kind of distrust come to a head. That's what that's what we saw being borne out. There was a disagreement about what happened in the election, but at the heart of that disagreement was such deep distrust for the other side that people assumed the other side was trying to bring about some evil aim. So can we take away something from this passage for you know what's going on in our country right now? I think there may be a couple takeaways, one kind of negative and, and one more positive. And the negative one, or what you might call negative, is just that many of our fellow citizens are not members of the Forever family. And so it's it's hard to expect them to show the kind of gentleness and patience and love that Christ showed to us. The United States doesn't have the unity of the spirit. It has the unity of like some laws, you know, a constitution. And that's definitely not nothing, but it might as well be nothing when you compare it with the deep reality and the power that comes through being unified through the saving work of Christ and the unity of the spirit. There's a real problem in Christian evangelicalism in, uh, that certain of us right now want to say that America is special. There, uh, some people might want to say that it's like God's chosen country, that the Constitution is divinely inspired. There's a temptation to say that the unity that Americans have with each other is a spiritual unity. And those things are false. That's a way that we as Christian evangelicals have made country an idol. And we saw that in that insurrection of the Capitol. Robert talked about people who were out there who were bearing the cross as they sought to overthrow uh, the government. We do have a common connection with our fellow citizens, but it's not a spiritual connection just as citizens. And it's hard to expect that connection through some laws and in common culture to empower people to trust each other again. We can hope, but it's it's not the kind of connection that the Spirit gives us. The positive takeaway from this passage, I think, is that those of us who are in the forever family, we have the Spirit, and the Spirit empowers us to bring these attitudes and actions of being gentle and patient and loving out into our community. So, you know, the Spirit doesn't just empower us to 
to have these attitudes towards other people who are in the forever family, the spirit empowers us to go take those things out on mission. Part of being in the family is being on mission together to go bring more people into the family. And to do that, we have to show the radical gentleness and radical patience and radical love that Christ showed to us. So when we see what's going on in our country right now, I think one thing we can focus on as the forever family is how to take these attitudes of Christ into our communities and be radically loving to those in the community. If we want to have that kind of impact outside the family, though, I think it has to start at home. So the last thing I want to talk about today is how we work wisely to use the gifts that God has given us in our pursuit of unity in the family. So I'm going to read the rest of the passage from today, and then uh, we'll kind of meditate on that together. Paul says that grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed in to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So one question you might have had when you were reading this this passage this morning is, when Paul says that grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, does he mean like that some people get more grace than others or that like different amounts of grace are given? I think the answer is no. Another way I think to, to get at what Paul is saying here is that grace is given to each of us in the shape of, or dimension of Christ's gift to us. So really what Paul is, is doing here is he's showing that while we're pursuing unity, there is diversity in that unity, that Christ's grace takes shape in your life in proportion with the gifts that Christ gives you. Really another way to put it is that Christ's grace in your life empowers you particularly to uh, fulfill or to pursue the gifts that he's given you. So how do we work wisely to pursue unity in the body? Well, we, we do it by using the gifts that Christ has given us. So there are three things that I think, uh, like three keys to working wisely that I want to talk about this morning. One is to remember that you have a gift. You probably have uh, more than one gift, but First key, remember you have a gift. So maybe you know how you've been gifted. Maybe you've been in the forever family for a while. You've spent some time discerning, you know, what your gift or gifts might be. 
ask yourself, how have you been using it? And have you been using it? Maybe, you know, you've been kind of isolated and, it, and you haven't been using your gift to build up the body. Uh, or maybe you have, and that's awesome. But maybe there might be other ways you could be using your gift. So a really practical question that we can ask ourselves in prayer and reflection is just, what's something I can do to build up the body of Christ this week, this month, and this year? And building up the body of Christ means building up particular people in the body. And we can pray about who those people might be. Uh, maybe you're, well, uh, I'll say something else too. I mean, some of these opportunities are going to come in the like programmatic structure that we have in the church. So by that, I mean family groups, discipleship groups, small groups. These are are spaces that the church leadership has designed to give opportunity for the church body to build itself up. But there are other opportunities as well, right? Say your your gift is encouragement. Uh, you can maybe pray about, God, give me some names of people that I can call. Maybe I want to call three people a week and just try and encourage them in this really hard season. That's a thing that, that you can do that doesn't necessarily have to be part of the you know a church program or something like that. So maybe you're in the forever family, but you don't know what your gift is. You're like, I've been in the family for a little while, but I'm just not really sure what, what's my gift. Well, there's some things you can do to, to try and figure it out. You can pray about it and just ask God to show you and to just help you discern that. You can talk to other people in the family. I think one of the most common ways that we actually go through that process of discernment is to be known by other people who see God's gifting in our lives. Often like often, other people are able to see that in us better than we see ourselves. And another thing you can do is just look for ways to serve and build other people up and just see what happens. I think a lot of the times we, we want to find our gift first and then use it, but Really, uh, if you start just trying to do something, that's oftentimes the best way to find out like, okay, what's a struggle and then what kind of just shines once you're doing it. And maybe you aren't yet in the family. Maybe you haven't, uh, you haven't come to believe the gospel. You haven't accepted that free gift of grace that's been offered to you. I would ask you to pray about it. That, that gift of grace is being offered you today. And so I'd invite you to take some time to pray about what you've heard today. Reach out to us. Uh, there are a couple of different links you can click on the website, either through the contact or, or respond to the gospel, and we'd love to set up a time to talk to you about it. So the first thing to work wisely is just remember that you have a gift. And the second key is, is to use it and to let other people use their gift on you. So one kind of disunity that uh, is, you know, common is the kind that we're seeing in our country right now, where people distrust each other, they're angry, they're impatient or hateful even towards each other. And that's like a disunity of, of dissension, where people are actively uh, angry or, or, you know, have these attitudes towards each other. But there's another way to become disunified. It's not dissent. Uh, it's more like just drifting apart. And I think these are this way of becoming disunified is a real threat in a pandemic 
where it's hard to connect and it's a real threat for an individualistic society, a society, uh, you know, a culture in which it's really uh, where the individual is kind of the primary uh, unit and it's hard to reach out and ask for help from people. So maybe that's something you've experienced this year. And if you aren't connecting with other members of the, of the Forever Family, other members of Mercy House or other members in the Body of Christ, then you aren't working wisely if you're not using your gift and letting people use their gift on you. So I think we face this temptation sometimes when we expect that uh, church staff or maybe church elders, the church leadership, that those are the people whose job it is to build up the body and that we come to church to get fed. Uh, that's not the way that Paul talks about ministry. He says that, you know, in this passage, he says that there are gifts for equipping and then there are gifts for building up the body. And everybody has these gifts. Every he, he talks about the saints, right? Well, the saints is just code for everybody who's in the family. So the people we often think of as doing ministry, those are the people uh, who have been given, uh, according to Paul, the gifts to equip the whole family for the work of ministry. And every family member, every part of the forever family, is gifted for some kind of ministry. I think we also face this temptation for drifting apart when we don't invite people into our lives. And this is what I was talking about when I, I said in a pandemic, in an individualistic culture, it's really easy to just not let people in. But we have to we have to do it. We have to figure out a way to uh, to creatively connect with people. And, you know, this morning's a great example of creative connection. You know, uh, here here I am from my office preaching a sermon to you because of of the pandemic. But but we try to get creative. We try to figure out a way that we can still be as unified as we can uh, in a in a weird week where my family and I are quarantined at home together. So we want to continue to try and do that sort of thing. So. Working wisely, I've mentioned two keys so far. One is remember you have a gift. Another is to remember to use your gift and let people use theirs on you. And the last thing is to remember that everybody is in a different stage when it comes to what they know about their gift and how well prepared they are to exercise it. And, you know, it can be a different stage of maturity, but it can also just be that right now at this stage of life, things are really hard. And so sometimes... Uh, God has us in a place where we're able to use our gifts in really big ways. And sometimes we can only be faithful in small ways. And we need to be patient with people at every stage and help them be built up. I was really just reminded of this week being stuck in quarantine. Um, you know, my my daughters, it was a hard week for them. They, uh, they were stuck at home with their parents. They couldn't go and see any of their friends or anything like that. And their parents... We were trying to get work done all week, and that was really difficult for them. It took a lot of patience and gentleness for me to to work with them in the midst of their kind of frustrations this week. But, you know, they had to exercise a lot of patience towards me. I was a grouch this week. I was at the end of my rope a lot of the time and just exhausted and stressed out. And Lucy and Maggie were super patient with me this week. Um... And so, you know, that's like there's different maturity levels between us, but there's also uh, uh, really just like a difference in 
from this week to last of just like how much we're able to exercise our, our gifts together, how much we're able to connect. And we have to be patient with each other in those different times. And in the church, we're all at different stages of development too, uh, different stages of Christian maturity. And often in one week, we might be at the end of our rope. We have to be patient with each other in those different times. And before I come to a close today, I wanted to just talk about someone uh, that I've seen who's been doing a good job of working wisely. I think, uh, you know, I was I was just reflecting on all the people that I have seen at Mercy House who have been leveraging their gifts to build up the body and to to pursue unity in the body. And there are a lot of examples that I've seen. And actually, I think, you know, a lot of the times when you're using your gifts, it goes unseen. And so I think there are almost certainly a, a lot of examples that I haven't seen just because it doesn't, you know, it didn't relate to me or didn't pertain to me. But one example that came pretty much immediately to mind is Shannon Sarkisian. Uh, Shannon is someone who is really obviously putting her gifts to use. I think if you've been a part of our body for any amount of time, you probably have a good idea of what some of her gifts are because you've seen her putting them to use. So some of them, I think, for Shannon are leadership, wisdom, exhortation, and encouragement. Those are the, are some that I was thinking about as I was thinking about what you know how I've seen Shannon working in our body. So you know if you've if you've been around a little bit, you've seen Shannon in leadership. You've seen her up in front uh, in the in person services if you've been there giving our announcements and reminding us, you know, how to uh, keep uh, keep our social distance protocol and masks and everything. When we formed a finance committee last year, which was like a desperate need for growth for our church, but not an easy commitment, Shannon like jumped right in with enthusiasm. Um, when we have summit meetings or like business meetings, Shannon shows up faithfully and asks really thoughtful and hard questions that like really need to be asked. I'm the kind of person who like when those meetings happen, I show up, but like, man, I don't want to ask the questions. I just would rather them, uh, I'd, I'd rather the time just pass. But Shannon is very faithful to ask wise questions that help, you know, lead the, lead us where we need to go. Those are things that you might see because they're, they're areas of leadership and kind of official capacities. But there are also things that are behind the scenes too, you know. Uh, when I was up for the role of elder, Shannon asked me to meet for a Zoom meeting so that she could just hear more about what my vision for the church was. But not just for that, she wanted to encourage Joanna and I and ask what were some ways that she and Charlie could make sure that Joanna and I didn't burn out in the season, that they could support us. And she had ideas. She, she had more ideas than I did. I didn't really have any ideas. Uh, and that was a way where her gift of encouragement and wisdom was really coming out. So I just wanted to put Shannon on a pedestal this morning as a, an example of someone that I've seen in our, our body pursuing unity and using her gifts to build up the body. As we come to a close today, I wanted to return to the image of fellowship that the, the Lord of the Rings gives us. I pointed to a few ways that uh, actually that kind of vision of fellowship is like the vision that Paul gives us. There's one really important way, I think, in which 
it's very different. So the fellowship in the Lord of the Rings forms around a common goal of destroying something. Their goal is to destroy the ring. That's the purpose. But our fellowship forms around a common call of a hope of growing up in every way into him who is the head, says Paul, into Christ. In this passage, I, di- I didn't touch near as much on as I would have liked, but there was a lot to say. But in this passage, we get a, a vision not just of how we should be relating to each other here and now as members of the Forever Family, but of how we're going to be forever relating to each other as family, as brothers and sisters in eternity who are fully unified with Christ and fully unified with each other through Christ. And, you know, right now we're moving forward day by day with halting steps and we're trying and sometimes failing, often struggling to be patient with each other and to be gentle with each other and to build each other up. But why are we doing this? We're doing this because we hope and we know that eventually we're going to be fully unified together as we're fully unified with Christ. Please pray with me. Lord, we just look this morning to your saving work on the cross as the foundation of our family. It's what our family is about. And there's a keen sense that I have of my own insufficiency to be gentle and patient and loving in the way that you are. And I'm sure that my brothers and sisters share that sense of insufficiency. And yet you have given us your Holy Spirit, Lord. You have given us a sign of our adoption that's more than just a sign, Lord. It's it's a person of the Trinity who can empower us and who is empowering us to relate to each other in these ways. And to relate to the world around us, to be on mission in a way that's revolutionary, Lord. So we ask this morning, God, in hope and with faith that you will help us to to do that, to be gentle with others, to be patient and in love, to, to transform the way that our community relates to each other, to reach out, to use our gifts and leverage those to build each other up and to show the world how we can radically love. We ask these things through our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.